listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Morning, everyone. Uh, thank you, Sarah, for reading that text for us. I love this passage of Scripture. In fact, I think I can find a way to work that passage of Scripture into every sermon I ever preach. Um, so when, the, when that passage of Scripture comes up for one to preach, then I think, well, what should I preach? I feel like I preach this all the time. So like a lot of you, I'm also kind of fascinated a bit with um, the kind of leadership culture that has been kind of predominant uh, in our world the last, say, 20 or 30 years, it's become a really kind of hot topic. And I think it's, it's offered us a lot, and there's a lot that we can learn from it. But it's interesting in passages like this that I don't think Jesus is asking us to lead. I think Jesus is asking us to follow. And so we titled today's sermon, The Goat is a Sheep. Now, you have to be able to appreciate that, right? So that the greatest of all time here is a sheep. Uh, And we want to be like him. So when he's separating uh, in this parable the sheep from the goats, uh, we want to be on the sheep side, not the goat side, even if the greatest of all time is a sheep. (laughs) I know that's a little confusing, but you guys go with it. So um, a couple of things that stand out to me about this passage of Scripture Oh, maybe even before we get there, uh, you know, Eugene Peterson, whom we love, uh, produced this kind of series of talks called, um, what is it called? I just slipped my mind. Followership. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Not leadership, but followership. So Eugene was asked to produce um, a lesson on leadership, and his, his, what he produced was not the typical, this is how to be a good leader, this is how to lead an organization or an institution, but he talked about following. In particular, he talked about following Jesus. And I, again, I think that's exactly where we want to get to, is that we are, at the heart of who we are, good sheep, and good sheep are followers. And we're following someone in particular, and the one that we are following is none other than Jesus. Now, The things that strike me about this passage, one, is that in the list of six things, right, there's there's six ways in which Jesus says, I was like this, and you either did or you did not uh, seek to help me, right? I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was a stranger, I was naked, I was sick, and I was a prisoner. Now, as many times as I've talked about this, that's actually difficult for me to kind of get those out in the right order, (laughs) But, but that is the order. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was a prisoner, and you came to visit me. And of course, the, the, the question is, when, Lord, did we kind of see you like that? So two things that stand out. One is this, is that they, they seem to exist on a decreasing level of our capacity to actually offer any help. Like, they start off with things that are problems that we can actually solve. Like, if somebody's hungry, I can feed them. And at least temporarily, they're no longer hungry. Like, I, I can make a meal, or I can buy a meal, and I can feed a hungry person. 
If they're thirsty, I can give them something to drink. If they're a stranger, I could welcome them. Like, that shouldn't be that difficult to welcome a stranger. Like, kind of put a smile on your face and say, welcome, <laughs> right? It's not that, it shouldn't be that bad, right? Welcoming the stranger, even though sometimes in our culture we find it difficult. Um, I was naked and you clothed me. But then it says, I was sick and you cared for me. I was a prisoner and you came to visit me. I think it's striking that when he was sick, it doesn't say I was sick and you healed me. And it was that when I was a prisoner, it doesn't say I was a prisoner and you liberated me. So at the end of the day, in the story anyway, those who are sick are still sick. They're just cared for. And those who are prisoners are still in prison, but they're just visited. So that we're not being called upon to kind of solve the world's problems. We are being called upon to be attentive to the world's problems, to be, to be present. Like, that's what we're called to do, to care for the sick, to, to visit the imprisoned. And Jesus identifies with them, with the thirsty, with the hungry, with the stranger, with the naked, with the sick, and with the imprisoned. So there does seem to be a decreasing amount of capacity for us to actually do what we think needs to be done, but that doesn't in any way seem to be um, marginalized or disparaged, right? It's what we're called to do. And, and the, other, the other is this, is that both the sheep and the goats are equally ignorant. Like in the story, when Jesus says, I was like all these things and you didn't help me, the goats were like, what? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you as a stranger? When did we see you naked? Like surely we remembered that one. <laughs> when did we see you sick? When, did we, when were you in prison, right? The goats seem to be ignorant of the fact that they, that they would have ever seen Jesus in that scenario. But when he goes to commend the sheep for having cared for him when he was in those situations, right? They seem to be equally as ignorant. He's like, you did this right. We are happy. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy about this. So I want to bless you for doing these things. And he says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in and so on and so forth. And they're like, well, Lord, when, when did we do that? Like that, they didn't know either. So all of this work that we've been doing, trying to educate people about the faith, <laughs> at the end of the day, maybe it's not what you know. Isn't that interesting? That the, the, the economy of the kingdom of God is not merit-based. It's not based on what you do. And catch this, it's not even based on what you know. It's based on the fact that Jesus loves you. And do you have to know something in order for Jesus to love you? No. Do you have to do something in order for Jesus to love you? Also, no. Isn't it interesting that the sheep and the goats are equally ignorant about whether or not they have done what they're supposed to do, yet they still seem to be held somewhat responsible for what, not what they've done, it's not that they've done bad things, they're mostly held responsible, at least in this story, for what they have not done, right? And what they have not done is to care for those who are most vulnerable.
Because Jesus says, when you've seen others like this, or when you've done these things to others, or when you haven't done to them, that's like not doing it for me or doing it for me. So there's something about this that our, our practices, our habits, are deeply rooted into who we really are. Maybe more so than our cognitive reflection when we, we want to say who we are. But often, you know, you've talked to your therapist, that can be some kind of projection as to who you want to be or who you think you should be, right? But who, who you really are has something to do with what you do on a regular basis, like your, your practices, even if those practices lack uh, a level of articulation that would really bring some sense of awareness to it. I do think that step is important, and I think that Jesus' lesson here kind of gives some vocabulary to, hey, no, when you're doing these things to those who are vulnerable, you're doing them to Christ because Christ is in them, right? Because Christ identifies with them, because Christ does seem to have a preferential option, you know, for the poor, for the marginalized, for those who are hurting, those who are strangers, or those who are sick, or those who are imprisoned, or those who are naked, or those who are hungry, or those who are thirsty. But, but what is it about those practices, those practices that we involve ourselves in, even maybe before we realize how important they are? There's a great example of this in one of the most important kind of philosophical discussions of, of my time, right? It's this. It's, if you're unfamiliar with the film, and it's a classic, I mean, if you haven't seen it, you need to watch it. So, so uh, Daniel Russo, the, the character there played by, by Ralph um, Macchio, thank you, right, has been... Um, sanding the floor on the deck, he's been painting the fence, he's been waxing the car. Uh, what's the fourth one? I've left one out. It's just like the lesson of Jesus. I always leave one of those out. Yeah, right. So he's been painting the house. But for all he knows, these are just kind of uh, duties that he's been given, right? He wants to learn karate, but all he's been taught is how to sand the floor and wax the car and paint the house and paint the fence, yada, 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 right? And he's like, none of this is helpful. But then he finally learns at one point, and this is the point in the film, he learns that all those things, all those muscle memories, all, all that practice that he's been doing actually is very helpful. It's exactly how he will defend himself in a fight, Right? It's how he can defend all these different blows or kicks that are kind of coming at him. And I think this is exactly how our faith and our lives work. The things that we do, the things that we practice, whether together or sometimes alone, right? our faith, the songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray, the scriptures that we read, the coming together, uh, the receiving of communion, the, the, the practice and the celebration of baptism, they're doing something to us so that when we get into life and we find ourselves kind of in the proximity of a person in need, we'll know what to do. It becomes second nature, right? So, so Daniel, the, the, young, the young guy in the, in the film, wasn't having to think about what, what to do, right, at that time. He had done it over and over and over. 
And the same way kind of our muscles have memories and that they can be taught to do things. And those of you who are athletes or musicians or dancers, you know this so well, right? Our, our souls kind of have a soul memory. And our soul memory is shaped by our regular practices. And it's so much so, we, we use the phrase that, you know, this is second nature, Right? I don't have to think about it. It's, just, it's, not, it's become not just my nature, but my second nature. It's just natural to me now. I think I might have told this story before, but I'll, I'll tell it again. It's a good one on Angela. So when we were, when we were living overseas, um, we were pretty poor, so we didn't have a car. But uh, we'd kind of saved up to go on a weekend vacation where we rented a car. But of course, to rent a car there means you have to drive in, from the right-hand side of the car which means you had to shift gears with your left hand. And that can be a little tricky, right? And so every time, every time, and we had the car for like three days, she went to shift. Um, she would reach out her right hand and hit the door, the window. You know, like every time. Because she had been conditioned, right? When it was time to change gears, you reach out your right hand and grab the, uh, the gear shift. And we, you know, three days apparently is not long enough to retrain her into uh, reaching out with your left hand. Now, I think I did, I was able to reach out with my left hand. However, I did look out the window every time to check my rear view mirror. <laughs> I would go like, oh no, it's over here. Oh no, it's over here. Right? So, one way to become a good sheep... <laughs> is to listen and not to listen once. This, this, is, this is another, this is a major misnomer, particularly in evangelical Christianity. We've imagined that, that doing one thing one time kind of solves all of our issues, as though this isn't a life that we're committing to. It is a life that we're committing to, and it requires practice. And the practice that it requires May or we may or may not fully appreciate it. Like, I'm sure that Sunday after Sunday you've received communion and you may or may not fully have appreciated everything that the table means. But if you just trust me on this, if you keep coming to the table, if you keep receiving God's mercy and God's grace and God's forgiveness, it will shape you into the type of person who then shares that grace and that mercy and forgiveness, right? It, it will take a while. Um, there's this, um, uh, he's a Benedictine monk. He's the abbot of this monastery in England. And he says this, he says, he says, I might be a sinner, but first of all, I'm a beloved sinner. Like I might get things wrong, but before, but, the, but getting things wrong doesn't really define me. What really defines me is that I'm loved by God. And he says, this is how community works. And he actually names a person in his community. He goes, look, this guy's really difficult to be around. And you might not want to be within, you know, um, a mile of him. But after living with him for like 20 years, then you feel like, well, you know what? I can be maybe within six feet of him and it won't be so, it won't be so bad. And then he says this, and this is the real kicker. He goes, if God can do that in him, then maybe God can do that in me too. 
So the, the Benedictines, they make this a vow of stability, meaning when I come, I'm going to stay. And we need more of that in our lives. We, we, need, we need a vow of stability, like we're saying, I, I'm not just going to move on for, for no good reason, right? I'm, I'm making a commitment, and, I, and I'm staying here. And this is going to be my place for good times and bad times, for the up and down, for the in and out. This, this is where I am because this is who God's called me to be. And it's, and it's that type of practice. It's that type of life that I think is, is being realized in this story where the sheep may not have known that they had done the right thing, but they had done the right thing because it had become a part of who they were. And then, now Jesus can explain to them how important that is. So, in a a lot of Christian circles, um, Matt Hewitt, uh, a friend and former pastor here at Oasis, used to say this a lot. In a lot of Christian circles, there are the three B's. You have to believe, you have to behave, and you have to belong. And typically, we treat them in that order. You have to believe what's right. Like when you believe what's right, then uh, you are on the road to becoming a member of the community. But you have to believe what's right. Believe what's right about God. And having believed what's right about God, then you have to behave a certain way. Right? There's certain behaviors you do. There's certain behaviors you don't do. And then having believed what's right and having behaved the right way, then you can belong. You can become a member of the community. But I think the gospel, certainly Matt says this, and I think, the, I think he's right. The gospel suggests something differently. Kind of flipping all that on its head. That first and foremost, you should know this. You belong. You belong here. You belong at the table. You know why? Because God made you. Because God loves you. you your belonging here is not based on what you know and what you do. You belong here because you are God's child. You might not know you're God's child, but he has gone through a lot to adopt you. Right? He's gone through a lot to save you. God made you, and God loves you, and God forgives you, and you belong. You belong in the family of God. And there is nothing you can do that would make it so that you don't belong here. You do belong here, because God loves you. Now, belonging, you know, if you're here, right, and you belong here, and you are here, eventually that will grow. That will affect the way, not just the fact that you belong, but it will also affect the way you behave. Your behaviors will start to change. You'll start to hang out a little longer at Silver Mesa, right? You'll, you'll, you'll have some coffee with folks. You'll constantly be told you're forgiven. You'll be prayed for when you're sick then not only will you be prayed for when you're sick, you'll start to pray for other people when they're sick. Not only when you'll be a person who gets forgiven, you'll start forgiving people when they do something wrong to you. You'll be able to kind of take that chip off your shoulder and not be angry all the time. Your behaviors will be altered by the fact that you belong to a community like this. And given enough time of belonging, right, of attending, of practicing, of behaving, that will shape our beliefs. And eventually, 
there'll be some things that we do kind of can commonly share together, right? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. These really kind of common confessions that we say and these common prayers that we pray. And, and, and that will make us, I think, in the end, a part of the sheep so that we follow the goat, not a goat, right, but the goat, who is the ultimate of sheep, uh, the lamb, the lamb of God. Amen? Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.